Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Turn your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 10. Thank you, Jake. We've been uh, going through the book of Acts week by week and studying the early church, and we've been studying what God did in the early church, and we're trying to make it apply to our lives. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 10. I hope you have a Bible, and you can read along with me as we preach. Uh, The message today has a whole chapter in front of us, and it's significant in the development of the church, and it's about something I'm calling spiritual prejudice. Spiritual prejudice is the tendency to divide people based on man-made categories, not biblical ones. So in the early church, the early church was predominantly and almost completely Jewish with not really a lot of interest or openness into bringing other kinds of people into the fold. And we're going to study it this morning that even though God and Jesus, when he was on earth, had tried to make as clear as possible that the gospel is for everyone, the people had retreated into it, but it's maybe just a little simpler for me if it's just kind of like me and the people that are like me. And in a variety of different ways, put that definition back up, thank you. In a variety of different ways, I think we all struggle not to divide people in our minds based on man-made categories, not biblical ones. The way that that works is the good people are the people who vote like me. The, the good people are people who put their kids in the public school like me or the Christian school like me or the home school like me. The good people are the people who are like me and the bad people are the people who are over there and not like me. And we have this tendency to create categories in our minds, sometimes even based on maybe good, wise choices that are like, no, no, a Christian would never go over there would never do that. And it harms us and our ability to honor God with our lives. And it harms the community and people around us. And it harms the young people in our lives that we're trying to influence. It harms everything, this tendency to divide people on man-made categories, not biblical ones. That's what uh, Acts chapter 10 is about. And to illustrate that, I was reading this week um, a story about the relationship between uh, one of the great men of faith of the last century, Billy Graham, and his relationship with Richard Nixon, uh, the former president. And uh, if you know anything about Richard Nixon and kind of the downfall of his presidency, you would know that he had this habit of recording all of his conversations. And then eventually when those were made public, it became uh, often very unflattering to the people he was talking about. And just recently, uh, after the death of Billy Graham in the last few years, some things were brought to the surface where both of these two people were talking very unflatteringly about Jewish people and their role in the world and their role in the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
one of them even saying something to the effect of, uh, uh, Billy Graham said something to the effect of, uh, Hitler went about things in the wrong way, but I can understand why he was so angry at the Jewish people. If a great man of God, I say that not to lower your opinion of that great man of God, but to say that if that great man of God can struggle to root the prejudice out of his heart in an unguarded moment, we should not, in the age that we're living in, where almost everything is okay, except for like the only thing that's bad anymore is anything that has to do with racism and pretty much everything else is fine. That's kind of the world that we live in today. We should not assume, dear friends, that we have rooted all the prejudice out of our hearts just because we're better at saying things than generations that have gone before. So this is Acts chapter 10. I'll read the first three verses to you, and then I want to show you a whole bunch of things. We're going to go, it's a long chapter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius, pause. Uh, when you're reading the Bible, you want to learn to develop the discipline of noticing that every single detail that's in there is in there for a reason and for a purpose inspired by God. You may have friends uh, who, when the, do you have a friend like this who, when they're telling stories, they have this habit of like adding in all kinds of extra details and so by the time you get to the end of the story, it's 20 minutes later, and you don't even really know where you started because they just kept adding stuff and adding stuff. Lance, Lance, you're a bit like that sometimes. Shana, for sure, I know that. It's kind of your vibe. There's this way in which, do you have those people in your life that they add details, add details, add details? Uh, the Bible was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and everything that's in there is in there for a reason. So everything in that first couple verses may sound to you like kind of background, but it's telling us something. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, I'm just reading the verses to you again, a centurion. That means he was a Roman official with at least 100 people underneath him in leadership. What was known as the Italian cohort is giving us a clue that this happened somewhere in the 60s AD, 25 years or so after Jesus Christ went to heaven. It says that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. That probably means that he was practicing the Jewish faith that was waiting for the Messiah not the Christian faith that believed that Jesus was the Messiah already come. And it says there that he was giving money, alms is just charity. He was giving charity to the poor, and he was praying to God. This is trying to paint the picture. This person, Cornelius, who's in our story today, was a person who was trying to find the real God. He was trying to figure out his faith. And it says that he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come into him. Now, I don't know about you, that doesn't happen to me every day. I do have vivid dreams occasionally, but it's a pretty significant thing that he was sure, and now the Bible is verifying that he, was, he saw an angel of God appear to him. And what the angel of God goes on to say in the next few verses is, okay, there's a guy, and this guy's name's Peter, and he's in a town over called Joppa, and I want you, Cornelius, to take a few of your best people, and I want you to go get Peter, and I want him to bring him to you, and he's going to tell you what to do next. Very specific. So that's what Cornelius did. Skip forward now, look with me in verse 9. It says that the next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, so these are Cornelius' guys, and they're coming to try to find Peter. It says that Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. 
he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened. So Cornelius has a vision, now Peter has a vision. And the vision that Peter had was there was a great sheet that came down out of heaven with four corners and there were animals and reptiles and all kinds of different things. And he heard a voice, verse 13, that said, come on, Peter, rise, kill and eat. But Peter said, well, no, I couldn't do that. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. I'll explain that in a second. And then the voice came to him a second time. And eventually it says in verse, uh, what is that, 16, that this happened three times. And then the thing was taken up to heaven. So we see Cornelius has a dream. Now Peter has a dream. And Peter's dream was someone asking him to eat food that he wouldn't slash couldn't eat. Now, this is one of the little kind of detailed things that to read your Bible and understand it well, you need to understand this system of eating that was in the Old Testament and carried into the New Testament. Uh, most of our eating today is either medical allergies or sort of like for vanity or voluntary or moral, like I don't eat meat for whatever reason. Or, but we don't really have in our culture what is being talked about here. It was this idea that by eating a certain diet, I am being pleasing to God. I know the vegans would say that that's what they're doing, but I'm not sure that I could meet them all the way there. Can I get a witness anywhere in the house? So back in the Old Testament, I want to explain to you what's happening here back in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 20. He says, God, this is God speaking, I'm the Lord your God. And I've separated you from the peoples, so you should separate clean beast from unclean, an unclean bird from clean. You shall not make yourself detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. Key phrase, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people that you should be mine. So God decided, uh, all the way back to the beginning, he was going to have the whole world for himself, and people were sinful and rejected God. And so there was a reset. Noah and the ark was the reset. And after that reset, still the people were not listening to God, and so God decided to kind of slim down. He said, you know what, I'm just going to have one nation. That's going to be the nation of Israel, and these are going to be my people, and they're going to obey me. And he sets up here in Leviticus this idea that you're going to eat a certain way. You're not going to eat. You can see that list there. We're not going to eat birds. You're not going to eat something that crawls on the ground. So that's like a snake or something like that. There's a, you're not going to eat certain types of meat. There's this kind of tight system of what you are and are not going to eat, not because of the health benefits, but because you're going to be different than the people around you as a way of showing that you are mine. It's not about the external. It's about what is happening in the internal. It's not about the external. It's about what it reveals about the internal. I think this stands and is true, this concept for all of us sitting here 2022, September the 18th. I, was, I just wasn't sure about the date, but I did get it there. I remember that last Sunday was September 11th. That's how I remembered. We, each of us, if we're followers of Jesus, which I'm not assuming every person in the room is, and that's okay if you're on trying to figure that out for yourself, we should look, the lives that we're living, different than the people around us. There should be choices that we're making and not making, things that we're willing to do and not do. If you just look at a person who's following Jesus, the way that they parent their children and spend their money and spend their time and spend their energy, if you looked at them real close, it should be obviously different 
Because people out there today all over in Palatine who don't believe in Jesus, they belong to themselves, and life is about making things the best for them, but we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We have a king. And this is the Old Testament version of that. But Jesus, when he came, was opening the good news back up to as many people as possible. So in the book of Mark, he says, since the food enters not your heart but your stomach and is expelled, question, thus he declared all foods clean. Peter, who our story is about today, was standing there when this happened, but Jesus went out of his way to say, okay, that system, we're not following the system anymore. So like why you'd want to eat a snake, I don't know, but God's not stopping you from doing that anymore. We were living this way, now we're not living this way anymore. But Peter and many of the disciples were clinging on to this old school division on ethnic and behavioral lines. And we've seen now for 2,000 years since that there is something in the heart of people, like I said at the beginning, that wants to divide by man-made lines, not by spiritual ones, don't we? Just two decades ago, three decades ago, certainly six decades ago, the idea of a church going out of its way to say, we want to be a church for every kind of person, not just a certain kind of person, was barely even known, barely even the idea of existence. It's been said for generations that church is the most segregated place in America. I mean, it's not very many decades that you can look in the rearview mirror and there were people holding a Bible saying marrying someone of a different race than you is sin because God said. Everybody say, that's wrong. You got to get this part clear. The Bible is not against, uh, the Bible is against interfaith marriage and influence, not interracial marriage and influence. You're not going to find that on one verse, on one page. God is not interested in most of the ways in which we divide each other are man-made categories anyway. What the Bible is against is if you get with a person who doesn't have the same faith as you, inevitably, what is your faith going to do? It's going to get stretched and get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. The Bible's not against, just put that back up, the Bible is against any influence that doesn't have faith attached. What the Bible is, has nothing to say about and many churches for a long time and pastors in places like I'm standing right now to their own chagrin have preached is wrong. Interracial marriage and influence, not wrong in the Bible. But that idea and that, that was what was happening back in the first century, even after Jesus Christ said, the good news is for everybody. Don't eat like this anymore. Go reach the whole world and spread the gospel. People were like, okay, so let's just kind of get all the people like us over here and we'll just kind of hang and have our little thing and, I mean, literally, they're kind of saying, to hell with all the rest. That's what is trying to be stopped right here. I know that was long, but thank you for sticking with me. So now, uh, Peter has had this vision, and Cornelius has had this vision, and they're about to come together here in Acts chapter 10, and now look with me at verse 17. Acts chapter 10, verse 17, I think we have that verse for the screen. So, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, he's kind of pondering it. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, they stood at the gate. So like, he was sitting there kind of thinking, huh, hmm, hmm. And then the doorbell rang, is the idea. And these people came in, and they explained, well, 
we're from another town over, and uh, the, this, our centurion boss, he like had this dream, and it feels kind of weird to us, but he sent us over, and he wanted us to talk, and he, and he so then Peter's kind of like, so what was the dream? And then Peter is making this connection that this is what God wanted to talk to him. And Peter says then, in verse 28 and 29, he says now to these men, you yourselves, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. So just tell me, why did you send for me? Okay? What Peter's quoting right here is not a biblical law. He's quoting a whole set of expectations that culture had layered on top of it. Peter's like trying to get credit for being like, hey, you know that like I shouldn't even be in a room with people like you, right? Like, what are they supposed to like be like, oh, my, thank you so much, thank you so much. But he was part of a system that so rigorously preferred one kind of person to another that it messed with people's heads so the behavior that should have been obvious was something worth commendation. I have a slide I, uh, that I think goes with it. What God want, wanted and wants from you and from me is purity and devotion to him. But what people often use and develop from God's desire for purity and devotion to him is rules and disdain for others. And the rules and disdain for others that we develop are usually about the things that we feel good about in ourselves and don't feel so good about in others. This is why churches and people of faith are notorious for being terrible to divorced people and terrible to people of different races and faiths and candidly often terrible to people who are struggling and are poor and terrible to people who have had abusive or difficult backgrounds because what people tend to do is say the people like me are good and the people that aren't like me maybe aren't as good. We take God's standard and use God's standard to develop a sense of pride in ourselves. Uh, someone said to me just a couple days ago, uh, they said, I like coming to church at Good News because the people there don't seem like they think they're very good. And I was like... kind of like I, I get you know a lot man like you've lost man like you you just look so much like better than have you lost weight it's like well it's, okay I think you're trying to say something nice but it just kind of came in an awkward package uh but I think what this person was trying to say is people are used to people of faith coming across as self-righteous holier than thou better than everybody else and the good news often get shrouded from people's eyes by the attitudes of the people who already know about it. And that's what's happening here. So God does a miracle in this moment. Cornelius then now starts to speak. And Cornelius starts to explain the vision that he had. And now this is finally Peter gets it. This is Peter, remember, who God said, Jesus said, was going to build the church on. And he says now finally out of his mouth, Acts 10, 34 and 35, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Do you see that? Two things. So truly, I understand God shows no partiality. What is partiality? Partiality is because 
you're a certain way you get better treatment. You don't show up at the church and we don't organize the seating like, you know, whoever gives the most gets to sit in the back because that's where they'd want to sit and the lesser people sit up front. We don't organize the parking lot. We try not to by like, well, whoever gets here first gets the best spots. The partiality is any system that rewards a certain kind of person. Peter's saying, I finally get it. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, see it, every place in the world, anyone who two things, do you see it, who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So anyone who knows God and lives the way God wants him to live is acceptable to him. This moment opens the door, opens the door for the gospel to make it out of just being for a small group of people to every person in every nation on every continent. And this problem that is solved here in the first century, something like roughly 1960 years ago, is still a problem in so many places today, this idea of dividing people. And so the racial thing is part of it, but it's not the only part of it. Uh, so often, I want to just try to apply what happens here now to us before we go. So often, we struggle not to put something called a purity test out in front of people around us. That's an extra biblical standard of judgment. It's like all the good kids, all the righteous people dress in a certain way or, or listen to a certain kind of music. or It's this kind of like, do you ever like start a job and realize there was all these unspoken ways that people talked and did things at the place? that no one ever wrote down. You had to kind of like find the stuff. And who's ever had that experience before? That you had to kind of find all the stuff that was in the culture. Nobody ever like explained it to you. The, this is the way we do things here, right and wrong, that kind of stuff. And people of faith had this way of applying and they shift by generation. The purity test shifts by generation in different places. Uh, just in America, just like real quick, if you went back to the 1950s and 60s, uh, most of the church was divided by race, and gender stereotype attitudes and restrictions. You wouldn't find churches where people of different backgrounds were together, and almost every church there was a focus on the men are in charge and should be pushing down the women so that the women are in their place or whatever. Um, and that caused all kinds of problems because when a person who isn't in a majority ethnically or a woman who isn't in power experiences people of faith as the ones to push them down, all of a sudden now in your head, God becomes the one who's pushing me down. And it really, really messes with people's heads. And then the culture shifts and changes. And into the area, uh, era of the 1970s and 80s is the era of the, uh, it's all about behavior. People who are divorced are bad no matter why they're divorced. People with tattoos are bad no matter why they have tattoos. People who listen to secular music, oh, the horror. <laughs> I've been around plenty of the Christian music people, guys. Like, there's, there's all the same kind of people, I'm sorry to say, for the most part. This attitude that, like, as long as you're a virgin, God loves you, but if you're not before you're married, God probably doesn't. This intense behavior, and some of those things are wise choices and holy choices, but these tests of these kind of people are good, these kind of people are bad, that's not what we're talking about here. Then the culture shifts again. Uh, this is the era that I grew up where the only thing that matters is that you don't judge other people for whatever they're doing. The age of tolerance is the age of the only bad people are Pharisees. You should let people do whatever they want 
all the time with a smile on your face, and if you ever seem like you're standing in their way, you're now the bad person. And then now the culture is in the process of switching again. I don't know if you see it. That increasingly people attach the gospel to their political ideology so that they genuinely, you can find so many people that believe that Christians, if you love Jesus, you simply must vote this way. Uh, just the other day I was in my office, Bobby, who's uh, one of my friends who's here, where we, him and I were watching a really well-known Christian person speaking at a large room of people saying, every person who really believes in Jesus is going to vote the right way in 2022 in this upcoming election. And if they don't, they're failing God and their religion is probably wrong. And that's everywhere now. It's on the right and it's on the left and it's on the right and it's on the left. And if you think it's only on one side or the other, just change your news channel for a week. I promise you it's in both directions. This idea that all the Christian people vote like me increasingly pulls apart, do you see? And it creates this group that starts to think I'm the good ones and over there are the bad ones. What's the point of what we're talking about here? That the pursuit of holiness is not optional for a Christian. Like, I have to continue to conform my behavior if I really believe in Jesus. Slowly but surely, I must act more like him. But definitions of holiness have variance by culture and life stage and personality. Uh, my friend Luvon is here in the third row. He's a dear friend of mine who's part of the church here, and he has a ministry where he goes every summer and preaches in French all over Africa. And if you see the way the people are dressed and the way that they act at the meeting he conducts and the way that we act in here, we would look at all of them and be like, whoa, can't they like, just chill out and calm down a little bit? Or are they even, like, do they even have faith? And they would look at all of us and be like, why are they acting like they're at a funeral? Like, and they just pull it together and like, act like they have faith? Same Jesus, am I telling the truth? Same Jesus, but culture and the people around us and expectations around us Change, enhance, cement our sense of what is right and wrong behavior more than we realize. And what we want to bring from here, God does not discriminate on any basis other than people who believe in him and fear him. And so what happens here, look back at the text now, we're almost done. Acts 10.44, it says that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from both the circumcised and those that came with Peter, were, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. Verse 47, Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as I have? And he commanded them all to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then he was there for many days. So God pours out his blessing, and all kinds of people are saved, and all kinds of amazing things start to happen, and this wall breaks down, and that wall keeps being put back together. And I know that today, sometimes we come and the message is about how God wants to meet you and make your life better and stronger. The message from the Bible today is about this mindset that is so critical that we keep having, dear friends, that to be a good news neighbor, I must learn to do two things. I must learn to hold tighter to the truth of Jesus and looser to my certainties about everything else. Friends, we can't afford in this day and time, dear friends, we can't afford to be uncertain 
about this question. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is the only one who can forgive your sins. He is the only way to find purpose. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we should be growing in our certainty about that question. Not in a way that means we're hateful to other people who haven't found the truth, but certain that every person in our community and every person in your workplace and every person in your family and your school who doesn't have that question right should be something of great prayer and thought to how can I help them find their way to I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we found that truth, we need to be growing in our certainty that Jesus Christ is the only way. And as we grow in that certainty, we should be learning to just be way more about everything else. Not that the Bible doesn't have standards. It does. Not that the Bible isn't clear. I think it is. But when we load up like our intensity with the people around us, let me say it this way. If you talk about who's going to win the game or who's going to win the election or how important it is that you study for this math test, in the same tone of voice and aggressiveness that you talk about. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The people around you can't help but not listen nearly as much as you would want them to. And the people who really have this good news neighbor thing right have got that thing about who Jesus is, like so certain in their mind that nothing can blow it apart. Nothing can blow it apart inside your heart and soul. And that should allow us to just have a different attitude and posture as we look at all the people around us. That if we already have the truth, we should be looking for Jesus to save even the most unlikely people. I know some unlikely people that I'd like to see Jesus save. Anybody got some unlikely people that they'd like to see Jesus save? I'd like to see Jesus save people who right now, right now this second would say, ah, there's no God in heaven, no chance at all. No, I worship a different God. It's nice that that thing is like good for you, but I have no interest. The people who look at you, there's people sometimes, I don't really see many of them today, when you're preaching and they're looking at you like if they could, they would storm the stage and beat the tar out of you. I believe Jesus wants to save those people too. And I believe Jesus wants to save every little child in this church that's downstairs right now. And I believe he wants to save all kinds of people that are over at that football field that I'll be over at later this afternoon who are worshiping that football field instead of the great God in heaven. And I believe Jesus wants to save people who knew him a long time ago and have run away from him and he wants to find them again. And the way that he's going to do that is by the people that he already has here having a, yeah, Jesus is the only way. And he's used to finding all kinds of people who've got all kinds of weird backgrounds and all kinds of nonsense in their life. And my role is not to be one who tells people they're out. It's to create a, an environment and experience that Jesus wants to bring them in. It says in the scripture that it's Jesus' kindness that leads us to repentance. When did you learn ever learn a good lesson from somebody pounding you down about how bad you are? That's the thing that people find irresistible. Do you remember when Jesus opened your eyes? What people find so irresistible is that free offer forgiveness for sins. And so my hope and prayer is that we are going to learn increasingly how to turn down this spiritual prejudice tendency to divide people on man-made categories and instead focus on what we see in the Bible here, that God wants to reach everyone in his time and we don't want to stand in our way, in his way by our attitudes. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.